0: Hello and welcome to the Aquarius podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Awaza, makers of fine filtration products like the BioMaster canister filter and BioPlus internal filters. Let's talk about the BioMaster for a moment here. With its removable pre-filter cleaning system, integrated heater option, and ultra whisper quiet technology, what is not to love about this filter? If you're in the market for a new canister filter, you owe it to yourself and your fish to check out the Owaza Biomaster Canister Filter. Use the links in the show notes and check out these great products. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Thursday, November 14th, 2019. My guest today is Eric Hunter. Eric is the founder of IND Creations. Eric and I are going to talk all about his exciting new creation, the AF4, Automated Frozen Fish Food Feeder. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Randy. I did that in one take. I did the AF4 automated frozen fish food feeder. Oh I just did it again. Wow I'm actually I'm wow. getting pretty good at that.
1: We might need a new spokesperson because <laughs> <here>, that <laughs> takes me
0: usually two or three tries. Oh uh, there you go. So Eric yeah you are on to talk about uh, this new super cool exciting thing. You've got a kickstarter campaign for it. It is uh, the aquarium industry's first automated frozen fish food feeder. So that is super awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like this has been something that I know a lot of people have been needing for quite a while, and there just hasn't been an option for anybody.
0: All right, so let's uh, let's leave that as a teaser. Before we get into the actual automated frozen fish food feeder, let's find out who is Eric Hunter. Tell me about your journey, your Aquarius journey um, in the hobby. And, you know, my listeners, most of my listeners are going to be freshwater, right? So this is a freshwater podcast. So I'm kind of crossing over to the other side here. I'm on, the, I'm on the light side because I prefer the dark side better than the light side. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the alliance right now, or the okay. uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the rebels, and we're gonna find out from Mister Saltwater. Uh, tell me about your journey in the hobby. Wait, wait. So I'm the dark side? No, no. I'm the dark side. Dark side's a cool side. You know, you're the. All
1: right, I'm cool with that too. I like both sides. Um, all right. So basically, my journey through through aquariums started pretty much when I moved to San Diego around 2001. I started with a uh, one small tank. And I kind of dove straight into saltwater. Um, I was just, I, I'd come from um, like, a, like a free diving, scuba diving kind of background. And those are the type of fish I always saw. So I always thought these are amazing. This How I can have this in my house. Okay. So I started with one small tank, which quickly grew into like three to four tanks. To uh, I had a small garage business for a while, which was, uh, was rough when I was in my early twenties to try and run that and go to school. So yeah. that, that
0: felt through, but well, can you, uh, w- would you mind unpacking a little bit on what that business was and kind of yeah, what, what you're doing?
1: Sure. So, uh, in San Diego, there's, there's a, I don't know, probably 10, 15, uh, various aquarium stores. There's a pretty good community of, uh, Aquarius down here. And I wanted to try and serve that community by basically cleaning tanks and offering like a, Quarantine sis- service for the f- for the new fish and uh, kind of just uh, a la carte deal where they didn't have to go to a shop. I'd bring everything to them, and I thought it was a good idea at the time. I think I just my my head wasn't in it. I was trying to go to school at the same time and uh, kind of fell through. But that, that was my that was my goal there. I know other people have made that work, but uh, I wasn't able to.
0: Do you find that so? On uh, I guess on the saltwater side side of things, is the quarantine process taken? a bit more seriously than perhaps on the freshwater side, like, you know, and, and I don't mean to say that freshwater people don't set up quarantine tanks and, um, you know, do use, uh, you know, medications. Aquarium Co-op is very famous for promoting the um, quarantine trio for any new fish before you introduce them into your community tank, but I've never heard anybody go so far as to say, like, I need somebody else to QT my fish before I bring it into my system.
1: Um, I would say there are some very, very, very uh, strong feelings about quarantining. I'm going to just come out and say that I have never been on my personal tanks um, a fan of quarantining. I've always just I kind of feel like it stresses the fish out. Um, So I try and pick out healthy fish and just um, put them into a healthy environment, not overcrowded. So that's always been my plan. Um, There are some people that would just absolutely go on a tirade about that, that I, that I do things. there's a lot of people that do the same thing I do, but, um, yeah, there's definitely an, uh, a crowd of people that refuse to, they, they basically refuse to put anything in their tank that hasn't been observed for like a month in a different tank.
0: Mm. And now, so let me, let me phrase it this way from a monetary, like retail price standpoint, I feel like the average, um, purchase price of a of a, a freshwater fish in a retail store a community fish you're probably looking between you know two to three dollars up to like 15 i would say is going to be kind of your top of the common fish and then anything above 15 is going to be like a real specialty pleco or just something like really oddball where where's that price bracket for saltwater?
1: um so the saltwater definitely um it gets real pricey there there. you can get like some of the most beginner like starter fish for under 10 bucks. Um, the average fish is probably between 10 and a and hundred dollars, depending what you want. Um, they have fish that are thousands of dollars that, that they're a little bit more rare. They're very pretty, but they. I think I can't remember what it is, but like a gem tang or something sells for like $2,000 wow. regularly. Yeah. And so people that have really, really nice, uh, collections, are worried about putting a fish that's infested with parasites into with all their other fish and losing 75% of what they have. Um, so yeah, the, I would definitely say the uh, the average price for a, a saltwater fish is probably between 30 and 50 bucks.
0: Okay, and then so so there's the fish price, but then also in saltwater it's the the corals and the um, like the hard and the soft corals, right? That they those also could be susceptible to anything brought in on, by a new fish as well potentially.
1: Uh, typically, no. Oh, okay. Typically, the things that affect corals come from other corals, so there's a different mm. little process. You can and you can dip corals a lot better than you can with a with um, fish. You can you can do some like quick dip processes to fish that will help get rid of some of the parasites. But for the most part, if somebody really 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 wants to quarantine it, they're spending at least a month, a couple weeks to a month in a separate tank before they put it in their main tank. Um, which I, I didn't realize that wasn't. Um, a big part of a uh, freshwater keeping
0: the, the, the corn, quarant- like actually quarantine, quarantining fish. Yeah, no, I mean it, it is, but I, not to the extent of where you could potentially prop up and support a business of actually offering that as a service. Like, I don't think I've ever actually heard of, um, heard of anything, anybody doing that in the freshwater side of things. But once you start racking up the, the price of, you know, somebody's 100 gallon, um, you know, saltwater display tank and the potential like, total price of all the fish in there I could definitely see why that would justify and where like the market may actually dictate and say, yeah, that like that actually that's a thing. That's a service that somebody may want to do is actually have somebody else quarantine their fish for an extended period of time. Because most of the most of the time, I mean, I'm not the best at quarantining. I'm very impatient and I like to just kind of uh, add fish to my system. Um, not not with like the discus that I'm working on right now in the fish room, but like in a community tank. Um, you know, I, I I like to buy from my own store, which is Aquarium Co-op. And I know that we're already doing the quarantine where we are doing medications on fish that, um, that we do bring in and we do have longer observation periods and all sorts of stuff like that. So I think to your point and kind of your philosophy, it's it's buying the healthier fish, going to reputable places. Um, but I would say, yeah, like most freshwater people, if they do do a quarantine, they'll set something up. Or if they have a quarantine tank, maybe they'll do like a week or two. But I, I'd really struggle to find somebody that would go beyond like two weeks on the freshwater side of things.
1: That's that's really awesome that you guys do that. Um, it's, it is tough finding um, a, a retailer that... Does everything you just said? You you guys do um, at least in Sandy. A lot of them will be. Uh, this fish was in Fiji uh, a week ago, and now and now here it is for sale. So they they definitely they don't hold on to them as long. They don't. Sometimes you'll see like a hospital tank at the store, but for the most part they're just kind of ocean wholesaler. Retailer, oh wow! And your tank, oh yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. We have a whole, our whole, uh, a whole back room is dedicated to. It's actually the quarantine room um, where you know all the fish that process through our our, our store go into the QT room and uh, get the med trio, and they're you know put under observation, salt, all sorts of good stuff to make sure that we're setting people up to be successful in the hobby. You know, like because that's one of the worst things you can do is sell somebody a fish that may or may not be sick, and then all of a sudden you take it home, the entire community tank gets wiped out, and then you've potentially just lost a family um, from the hobby. Or an individual Aquarius from the hobby because they had such a bad experience. And from what I hear, Um, the newer stores that are opening are adopting that philosophy and are really investing in quarantine rooms and quarantine, quarantining their livestock and treating them with things like salts and medications to make sure that their customers are getting that, you know, that better fish. And if that means a neon Tetra sells for 50 cents more, you know, I think customers, you know, they want that quality. Like we're at a point in consumerism where farm to table and all of these other facets of our life where people are willing to pay a little bit more for quality and, um, you know, knowing that they're getting a better product. A, a, I'm not talking Rolls Royce prices, but, you know, we're willing to spend a little bit more for a little bit of a higher quality or a lot higher quality.
1: I totally agree with that. I, th- I hope that, that, that that's where everything's going down here as well, at least on the saltwater side. I, it should be that way. Like if, if all the stores did the way that you guys do it, that I would never would have thought to offer Quarantining Fish as, a, as my own little side service. Um, and I, I, I think that's the way it should be done.
0: Yeah, I think what, what, what's kind of interesting about this, this, inher- this conversation right now, and, and I've talked to uh, uh, Sean Hale, who puts on uh, Aquashella, and we've talked about how you know, the blending of salt water and fresh water, while you know, the, the similarities is basically like a fish in water in a glass box, but there's so many differences, and when you tend to see these conventions where both salt and fresh water are represented, it's like oil and water. Like they don't, they don't mix. There's not a whole lot of like crossover. There's very few people that you know are fully versed in saltwater and fully versed in freshwater. So while while from the outside appearance, people are like, oh, that's the same hobby. You know, you have these kinds of conversations, and it's like, oh, we really don't talk. Like we're not in the same forums. And it's you know, it takes a very unique person that's going to have a lot of experience in freshwater and a lot of experience in saltwater.
1: No, that's I 100% agree with that statement um just myself in marketing this uh the af4 i have found myself naturally gravitating back to all the saltwater niches because that's what i know and i've been seeing these really pretty planted tanks and i'm just like how where do i even begin because i I think (laughs) that's that's what i if i started a freshwater tank i would want a really beautiful planted tank and i just have in in saltwater you're trying your hardest to eliminate all the all the plants for the most part but um that's so funny yeah
0: yeah, I think I think that's the hook. Like, you know, the 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 1980s and 1990s 55 gallon Oscar tank with some with some fake plants like, <laughs> well, I love Oscars. People that listen to this podcast know that I love Oscars and they hold a special place in my heart. That tank is not going to captivate and bring in nearly as many people new into the hobby as a um, like a 20 gallon cube or something that is just planted up to the brim mm-hmm. with, with a bunch of, um, easy to grow, low maintenance, low, low need plants like an Anubias or Vallisneria. Like I'm throwing out all these freshwater plant species at you right now. And you're like, ah, I don't know what that is, but you know, exactly. crit, crips and whatnot, but you can make beautiful aquascapes, a couple pieces of stone, a couple well-placed piece, uh, pieces of driftwood, a minimal amount of kind of like a nano species for some bright flashing color. And that, like that small tank is going to be so much more captivating and draw people into the hobby than, you know, our beloved brute of an oscar swimming through his roman coliseum you know or hovering above the uh <laughs> the skull <laughs> hovering and i had i had the little circular Ro- roman coliseum thing at, at one point in one of my tanks so, 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 <laughs> so did i so I had,
1: I had one in the saltwater tank that's so gallon.
0: that's so good man you had this so that's like the atlantis thing going on but yeah, yeah so I, I feel like if uh, if people just had like the uh, takashi amano that's one of like the godfathers of uh you know this this um Uh, Iwagumi style of Japanese aquascaping where it very much Mm -hmm. reminds me of the fields of Rohan in the Lord of the Rings like if you had his book on your coffee table you would just instantly like draw people in and captivate them and they'd be like I want that in my house like that thing is living artwork that's awesome
1: so let me ask you a quick question about Planet Tanks since I don't really know anything about Planet Tanks how much you're gonna uh... ask
0: me a question here we go
1: Well, this should be an easy one, I think. Um, How much pruning is involved on like a weekly basis with that sort of system?
0: I think so. So it's going to depend. So first off, if you are a low tech or a high tech and typically the difference between a low tech and a high tech will be uh, the introduction of CO2 and a, you know, higher light with fertilizers so there are Mm -hmm. there are plants where they can get enough nutrients to survive and slowly grow with a very basic run-of-the-mill led and just kind of the leftover you know um uh, uh, like the the leftover minerals or whatever it may be that's being left over from extra feedings or uh, fish Mm -hmm. feces or whatnot so they can get nutrients from that in the water Uh, your high your um, high-tech tanks where you are going to have plant species that are far more demanding and they are going to need supplemental um, introduction of fertilizers. So like nitrogen and phosphate and iron Mm. and all of that. And they're actually going to need CO2 injected into the system. You know, that's, that's going to be that's going to require more pruning because those plants, you know, they need that to survive and then they'll, they'll tend to thrive. And so like your carpeting plants where people will plant like a dwarf baby tears. That's one example of like this real, um, it grows low to the ground and, you know, looks really, really beautiful in a well manicured aquascape mm-hmm. tank. But from my understanding, I've never had one of those tanks, but those tanks do need to be manicured, you know, fairly often, like on a weekly basis to make sure you've got that carpet at that right level. There's a thing called dwarf hair grass that, you know, I've actually had that in one of my tanks that it was a high tech, um, injecting CO2 and that stuff, you know, it can grow, it can grow fairly tall. I think at some point, without maintaining it, I got it up to six inches and it probably would have continued to grow, but typically when you see it, it's like this nice two-inch kind of a, mm-hmm. two inches kind of tall, kind of a carpet, oh. like this beautiful carpet that just kind of flows on the very bottom of the tank. Um, so those, those you know, you'll probably you'll probably be manicuring your tank once a week, um, where another species like a Vallisneria, it will cast out runners, it's a very tall, long, wispy, uh, very easy to grow, low-needs plant you know, something like that, you might be able to go in your low tech uh, planted tank and not have to prune or trim or uh, pull any runners out for, I don't know, a month or two.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, if only we could get the light side and the dark side to, to talk a little more, because uh, <laughs> what you're describing is very similar to a high end uh, coral tank, like yeah. all the different gadgets to make everything work and the maintenance required. And it's part of why people love what the, the, the reward of looking at it is all the work they put into it is as a payoff is how beautiful it is. And it's like what you just described to me in, in different words, sounds very similar to like a high end coral tank.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure oh. that it, like on the, uh, even on the low tech side, more so on the high tech side, if you have an imbalance of those nutrients, if you've got too much light, if you have too many nutrients, if you've got more nutrients, less light, more light, less nutrients, you then have algae, Uh black beard, algae, hair, algae, yep. um, you know, all of these things. And that's where your cleaner crew comes in. You're a mono shrimp, um, cherry shrimp, uh, nerite snails, you know, all sorts of like little critters and fish as well. Florida flagfish, although they can be kind of rough sometimes, uh, Um, some gobies you know you you have your little crew in there to help keep down that algae so you know I I, and I would assume that there's probably a parallel in corals like there's going to be some unwanted entrance into a into a coral atmosphere or a coral tank just like with a planted tank so it's not it is certainly not all you know freshwater you know uh, you know bells and whistles and roses and all that like you know it's not it's not some easy thing because if you if you get an imbalance wrong if you're running too much daylight if you're not running enough nutrients you can have an algae explosion and some people really like the look of algae Um, you know if if kind of manicured and kept to Mm -hmm. you know it's own, if you kind of, um, if you kind of manage the algae in a certain way, it can look cool in and of itself. But a lot of times, yep. like if you start getting that wispy algae on your, on your val or your crinum or any of these other plants, you're like, ah, oh, that just kind of looks like crap. And you know, a, a person new to the hobby may come into your house and be like, oh my God, that's a beautiful planted tank. That looks awesome. <laughs> but you see all those imperfections. And I, yep. I would have to imagine that the the saltwater side, I think probably has that too. It's the
1: same. Yeah, It's totally the same thing. We've got our pests and things that just grow like weeds, basically, and unfortunately drown out the things that you spend so much time on.
0: Yeah. One so. uh, one comment that Sean made, though, I don't know if he made it while we while I interviewed him, but uh, one of the draws and what he's really liking about the freshwater side of things, because he's you know, he works for Fritz and, uh, you know, that's a big provider of saltwater salt and all the other mm-hmm. fun stuff that Fritz provides um, is that not having like an at, atinic. Is that the term? The atinic light? yeah
1: like so, the blue lighting yeah basically. yeah so
0: not so actually having a tank in your front room that doesn't have that blue lighting you know makes it a much more enjoyable space where that blue lighting can kind of be a little bit you know off-putting at times and i i don't think his wife was a big fan of that where you know with a planted tank he was able to have one in the front room have that lighting have the normal led lighting and it was all perfectly fine because it's just you know normal led lighting for the most part
1: yeah that is that is a good point cuz i i definitely put a decent amount of work into shielding the blue light from like basically over, over, uh, over coverage on the tank. Cause it is annoying to look at that blue light. And if, so if you're anywhere below the light, you see it, you know, it's like, it, uh, yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. I don't want you to fully convert over cause you have to keep your salt water, <laughs> you have to keep your saltwater chops for your product, right? Cause you've got a strong demand for, for something like this, which will, which we'll dive into. But I feel like, I hope after this conversation, Matt, I can get you to go down and, you know, pick up a little cube tank or something, pick up like a little 15 or 20 gallon cube tank and get yourself a, a planted tank going.
1: That's definitely that is definitely on the list. so right now I've been pouring all my myself into this product, but that is definitely
0: on there. so let's uh, let, let's talk about the product then I guess at what point in your hobbyist career um, did you you know did, did this idea come up?
1: Um, I've had this idea in some form for a long time probably. Probably the first time I had to leave for longer than five days, I was like, oh, I wonder, uh, let me go look for like automated frozen fish food feeder. And I found nothing. And I, so I searched a little bit more and all, there's there's several DIY situ, uh, solutions out there. I never had the circumstance where I could actually, most of them involve a, a mini like dorm fridge. And I never had the space to really install that inside a cabinet to make the system work. So basically this stemmed for me from vacations, um, and having not having to get somebody to, I've always had fish that refuse to eat the dry food. I don't, I don't know if that's something that ever happens in, in freshwater, but
0: yeah, that was my next question. Yeah. Is, is how prominent is the need to have frozen food diets in saltwater versus, you know, what, you know, of freshwater
1: Almost all the fish in saltwater can be trained to take pellets, but it can be based it can be fish by fish. Like some fish you might be able to get to do it, some fish refuse no matter how hard you try. And so the only solution before was to have get some people to come over to your house and say, "Hey, this is how you do it. Drop this in, um, and then leave this here cuz the next person is going to come on Wednesday." And is always just asking a bunch of favors of your friends and family to come over and, and help you take care of the tank. And sometimes I've actually had a couple fish die while I've been gone. Um, which is always, it's always sad, especially like some of these fish that you really care about and they get personalities. Um, they're, they're basically, they're pets. they are, there are pets. And so when you, when you leave for a week and you come back and you, and you see one of them just sitting on the bottom and you just get really disappointed in yourself. So I've always, I've been trying to make this work for, for quite a while, Um, this last year actually is when it really kicked into gear. Um, I went on vacation. It was actually, it was a two week vacation. I had every sort of automation you can have for your tank, like auto top-offs, auto water changes. Um, it was a really nice tank and, um, had a a system of friends coming over to feed it. And one of the guys had to cancel like four days in a row. And I didn't have anybody, I was at a wedding and and a bachelor party, like two weeks vacation and i wasn't able to pull the strings to get somebody to come over and i was like well i just hope that when i get back it's, it's still okay it was my favorite fish it was a it was a copper band butterfly which actually eat um one of the biggest pests in reef uh, aquariums which is the Aptaza anemone and they just grow like wild fly, wildfire. And there's really, it's really hard to get rid of those. And so this guy ate all of them. So my tank was completely clean. It's a really beautiful fish. And when I came back, that was the one fish that had died, and the one fish that I knew would only eat frozen. Um, so I really started just scouring the internet, looking for how can I make something small enough where I can put it on my tank, and actually have a reliable solution. And and I, um, I've done tests and tests and tests and, and gotten to the point where I have this, uh, it's a four inch by four inch by three and a half inch cube. Um, that's capable of keeping the food frozen as long as you have it plugged in. So if you leave for a week, if you leave for two weeks, you can keep your tank fed with this device and not have to worry about your neighbor coming into the house or paying somebody from the fish store. Cause I know some fish stores in San Diego will do like basically tank sitting while you're gone. And they charge, I think like 40 bucks or 50 bucks a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, basically one vacation you'll pay for this unit. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where, that's where this started for me. And, and I'm happy to finally be to a point where I can, where I can share it with everybody that, that has a similar story to mine. Um, and additionally, there's, there's some different species of fish that, um, need to eat like three times a day. I don't know if they, is there something like that in the freshwater? Yeah, so the,
0: that's kind of one of my questions is, you know, I, I recently went to Peru in August on a uh, fish collecting trip. I set up some auto feeders, but a few of my tanks didn't, um, uh, didn't have an auto feeder. Like I, yeah, I've got 40 some odd tanks in my fish room, maybe 35. Wow. Um, so, so I was able to, I was able to get like six or seven of my auto feeders set up on like the really heavily stocked tanks. Um, and then the other ones with some, you know, a couple pairs of angelfish here and there and some. Uh, various other species that I keep, um, I, I I didn't end up losing any over like a two, two and a half week period. And I and I f- and I kind of feel like on the freshwater side of things, um, things it sounds like fish can go a little bit longer without eating than on the saltwater side of things. So um, and, and that's clearly, you know, you needing to come up with this kind of solution with, you know, you losing one of your your beloved fish uh, from a you know, what kind of fish will only eat um frozen and like v- be very very stubborn on taking pellets. I brought back um some wild discus. Are you familiar with the discus?
1: I know what they look like. I okay. would not know any other species. But.
0: Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's it's like the the one discus genus with maybe like two or three species underneath, but then there's all sorts of con- controversy on is it just one species or is it three. Anyway, awesome fish. That's how, that's basically what I'm going to dedicate my fish room to is just breeding out these wild discus and uh one variety of a domestic, you know, kind of designer discus, um, but yeah, so I brought these guys back, and you know, wild fish discus in particular are, are typically known to be um, picky, like notoriously picky when it mm. comes to eating food, and so uh, I got back, immediately ordered uh, live California blackworms, so I got those, and I was able to get them to eat live California blackworms. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's not nearly the type of nutrition new, uh, nutrition profile that they need. You need to try to get them over onto flows, uh, frozen cubes. And then from frozen, you can try to get them well, live, frozen, and then on a prepared food, which the prepared foods are going to have, you know, basically all the, you know, all the, the nutrients and the, that uh, protein and fat and that whole um, profile that they need to, to really thrive. And so got them on frozen bloodworms. Uh, and then luckily I was able to get them over to, um, some, some extreme krill flake, which is really, really awesome stuff. So a free plug for extreme, uh, who I've had on the podcast, just a fantastic food. But, um, so like a discus, those are notoriously, especially wild. Those are notoriously picky, um, pea puffers. Those guys very, very popular in, um, you know, in like a smaller tank, uh, smaller community tanks, they can be a little bit ornery, but those guys are notoriously picky, um, frozen bloodworms is like one of the few foods that they'll actually take it seems like they they're doing pretty well on um, Hikari's new vibrobites because it has that you know it looks like a bloodworm. it has a really mm-hmm. erratic way it falls through the water column uh, I'm sure there's probably some people out there listening to this right now that are yelling at me there's probably a couple more notoriously picky fish in the freshwater side that will only take uh, frozen cubes but for the most part we've got a lot of tank raised fish in the hobby so you know they're they're all coming they're all um uh, they're all eating prepared foods. You know, they're pretty much brought up as fry, probably baby brine shrimp. And then it's a, you know, one or two days that they don't get any baby brine shrimp. And when they're big enough, it's okay. Now you're going to eat this flake or this prepared food. And then they just, you know, they make that transition or they die. Uh, but most, most things in the hobby will, will get down on, um, on prepared foods.
1: Well, that's, that's good. Um, actually when I, when you're just talking about that, I had a couple people contact me that are, that are fish breeders that have said, well, can I buy this right now? Basically. Cause they have, it takes a lot of, uh, I guess, time and effort to feed small quantities to, uh, to the, the fry of these mm-hmm. of these young fish. And like you said, like the, the younger fish sometimes will only eat things that look like what they're supposed to eat. They won't eat yeah. the pellets right away.
0: Yeah, now, now that being said, now that reminds me of, yes, like for me, this application of this frozen feeder is if you're trying to do a breeding operation, if you're trying to get, you know, if you're really trying to churn and uh, really fatten up, you know, a, a certain breeding pair or a breeding colony or you've got, um, you know, you've got fry and they'll only take frozen baby brine shrimp or whatever it may be. Having something like this on the freshwater side of things, absolutely, like all day long. If you can, you know, if you can go to work, do your eight-hour day and know that your, fo- your fish are going to get fed every three hours like you want them to, like that's, that is a home run. There's a, um, there's a fish called a, the, the rainbow fish. Um, some Bozmante rainbow fish that I was breeding that I basically had to take golden pearls which you're familiar with on the saltwater side I think it was like the 50 micron golden pearls these things they you know you'll get like 100 200 fry but they'll only take incredibly small food like that and you have to feed them every two or three hours so you're taking an Eheim auto feeder you're putting a piece of tape over the port and you're trying to dial it in just so you get like (laughs) this little fraction of a golden pearl amount fall into the tank and so it ends up being this real ridiculous process but but like that's the only way you can really be successful until they grow you know two or three weeks later they they're then large enough to take baby brine shrimp
1: yeah no that's that's something that, the, that we can definitely answer that need with with this and that we actually on that um, the the standard wheel fits the full-size cubes um, but we have it's interchangeable wheels that go inside your carousels um, we have as many you can feed as many as 20 feedings instead of just the seven from the one unit and then it's like I don't know, like a quarter of a, a standard size cube. And you can even put less than that in the, uh, in the individual little slots.
0: So then, so, okay. So I see half cubes, quarter cubes. Now are those, you're going to take a Hikari bio pure bloodworm cube and like the, the hobbyist cuts them up themselves or in the saltwater side, do you tend to see half cubes and quarter cubes being sold?
1: No, no, you got to, um, they're, they're sold just same as freshwater basically. Um, okay. It's it's the same size cubes. That they're just different um, ingredients for the most part. Some of the, some I know people do feed bloodworms on the saltwater side as well. Um, so the standard size you can kind of we're actually going to make a cutter to make it a little cleaner and more uh, uniform. So you don't have to get out a cutting board and uh, one of your kitchen knives or whatever you use. Um, so a, we're gonna make a cutter to cut it uniform sizes and cutter, we're also gonna
0: be that would be super helpful even if you didn't purchase this i yes. would for sure get that cutter from you because you don't always need to feed a full cube and it's like busting out your knife and the blade yep. turns and there goes your tip of your finger
1: <laughs> yeah or the like the you when you chop it the food flies everywhere Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah so that's that's something that that um we're selling with this. Um, we're going to also sell separately, as what well, like you just said. Um, additionally, we're going to make uh, basically ice cube trays. Some people like to make their own food mm-hmm. um, that are for the different size wheels. So we'll have one for the full size, the mid size, and the and the small size. Nice. Uh, so you can you can brew your own. So I I've never done this. I my my wife would never let me have all of these raw fish ingredients in our kitchen. But there are a lot of people that do this and. Um, they basically make all their own their own fish food, which is which is awesome. Um, so this is a way to accommodate that that crowd, um, so they can they don't have to cut them. They they're just already pre-sized to fit into the different um, sizes of the wheel.
0: Yeah, no, that's very awesome. Are you gonna go silicone on the ice cube trays or do yeah. the hard plastic?
1: No silicone, okay. so it's easy to push them out.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I did. Um, I made frozen uh, beef heart before, like years and years ago, for my Oscars and my mom. That's what I. Uh, it was like 2001 or 2002. My mom was not happy with me for using her cuisine art <laughs> to make a uh, beef <laughs> heart in the kitchen. <laughs> yep, yep. I can, I can already see how that played out. Can you, can you so. talk to me a bit more about like the design process and iterations and, you know, break it down like you're talking to a sixth grader, um, you know, like the, the, the cooling technology without giving away too many of the trade secrets and like help me help us kind of understand like how this thing works and how you, uh, you know, from the drawing board, like how you how you iterated on this.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so like I said earlier, I started with just Google searches and seeing what options were out there and in trying to stumble upon some sort of do it yourself method, which is I do a lot of, um, I found uh, something called the thermoelectric cooler, which it's uh, they come in various sizes and powers and they're used in um, things like wine coolers, and various other there's various other places applications for them um but i discovered that if you if you use them the right way you can get um a well below freezing temperature so basically the way it works is i'll just touch on this real quick um you run electricity through this thermoelectric cooler it's a tech um one side gets super hot the other side gets super cold and the colder you keep the hot side the colder the cold side gets so what I did was I just kept tweaking that hot side until I got it to the point where the cold side was able to maintain a, a significantly below freezing level for a small chamber. It will only work in a small chamber. Um, otherwise, you need a, a full-size refrigerator. But um, So I found that. I started toying with the housings for that. I, I, um, I got into 3D printing specifically for this product, um, which has been an adventure in itself. Um, and... My daughter loves all the toys I get to make. For her. <laughs> <It's really nice. laughs> my, my wife does not love all the plastic around the house, but it's a good trade off. Um, so yeah, I was able to make uh, prototype after prototype after prototype for myself until I finally got to a design where I was like, this is ready. Um, and which is something that wasn't available to someone like me before. Like if I had this idea, I'd have to uh, stitch some styrofoam together and, it just would never really get to a point where I could show this off to the world and say, Hey, this is something that we can, everyone can use and everyone ben- can benefit from. So once I got the the cooling side of it down, I started um, getting into how are we going to make this so that it's reliable and how to, how, what's the best way to feed? So I, I, I sourced a very accurate motor that's able to turn the wheel. Um, it's, it's able to positionally remember exactly where um, the food is in the, in the feeder. So, that way you can keep the unit sealed because a, a part of keeping it cold is keeping it sealed. Mm-hmm. And so it has a trap door essentially that um, it will move a piece of food to that trap door and then seal it up again. And it'll do that basically as you program it, which the programming um, to be honest, I didn't do that myself. My brother uh, Drake Hunter um, is a programmer and he was able to, to do all that for me and exactly how I wanted it. Um, so I'm very fortunate that he was able to help me out with this. Um, cause that's something that I, it would have taken me another year to learn the programming.
0: So, 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 so far this is pretty impressive. Like two brothers, one's like the mechanical engineer design guy and the other one's a computer programmer. That's like between the two of you, you could probably like take over the world and build all sorts of crazy machinery.
1: I, I, I tried to tell him that and he, <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't want any credit for this. I, so I just, in what I did right now is more than he's asked for. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been amazing throughout. That's
0: awesome. This. That's so cool, yeah. man. Yeah,
1: no, I'm really fortunate that he was there for me because that would have cost to pay somebody to do that for me would have cost a ton of money or to teach myself how to do it would have been at least a year of learning and it still probably wouldn't be as good as he was able to do it. Um, so basically, yeah, we programmed a control unit that you're able um, – for my prototype, I don't have, a, I don't have the touchscreen dialed in, but that's something when we go to go to a mass production, uh, every manufacturer I've talked to said, oh, no problem, we can port what you've done over to a touchscreen. But that's the, that's the goal is a touchscreen controller that will display the internal temperature so you know that the unit's functioning. It'll display how many cubes you have left, so basically how many feeds – and it'll also allow you to schedule exactly how you want to feed. If you want to feed at 11 a.m., 1 p.m., 5 p.m., you can set all that up. Um, if you want to skip a day, you can skip a day. So if you want to feed on demand, you can feed, and it'll take that um, cube, drop it, drop it immediately, and take it out of the rotation. So you, so you'll know, okay, I have one less. So hmm. my my schedule is going to go a little shorter. Nice. Um, we also uh, doing things like like what I'm doing right now. Um, I've been listening to feedback from. Um, the base, mostly the reef community. And so many people were like, I feed seven full cubes a day. Wow. That's a lot of food. And they're like, yeah, this is, do you have anything bigger? So based on that, we actually have taken the controller and we're making it so it's able to control two separate freezers. So you're effectively doubling the capacity, um, from seven full cubes to 14 full cubes. Um, which I didn't think there'd be that sort of demand for it, but even on the Kickstarter, the second we actually announced that option, uh, I would say we got I don't know another 20 backers and people switching themselves from the initial options to the bigger option. and i I would never would have gotten that if I wasn't asking the community, what do you guys need? And that's that's one of the things like I really like about this platform is I'm able, to, able to make changes and take in all the ideas that people have and and incorporate it into the design that I already have.
0: Oh, that's so awesome, man. And in looking at the, um, some of the, some of the pictures that you have on here. So the, the feeding little like catch cuppy spoon guy, like that's (laughs) genius. Cause I I just would have thought you would just have it dunk straight into the tank, but you actually have it drop. What is it like a three inch drop? And it actually, um, on this, you know, uh, like spoon that has holes of, it looks like there's two different styles so that the food can then slowly disperse from the top of the tank, very much like a worm feeder cone for people on the freshwater side. Um, that's kind of what's happening here underneath your unit. Like each, each little cube is getting caught. And then that's just like, man, that's some next level genius stuff right there to like really (laughs) make sure like one hog of the tank isn't coming and just swallowing the cube, you know, it's really dispersing it out.
1: Yes. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, we've called that the cube catcher. And those, the cube drops out and uh, falls in that little mesh uh, holder you saw on there. And as it defrosts, it allows it to flow out into the tank without, like you said, one big hog just eating the whole cube by itself. Um, it also, I know they have these with with fresh water as well, but um, with the cubes in there just floating around all all free, it can go down one of the overflows and all the food's mm. essentially wasted. Um, so it's so that's an important feature. We also have. Um, some people that don't want one of these units just sitting on the rim of their tank, um, they, they're really going for that minimalist look on the top. Um, we have a base station that will allow you to um, to place the unit in like a cabinet below and feed through like a half inch um, tube um, using a Venturi uh, slurry technology. Just, it's not, it's nothing new, but we just applied it to this, um,
0: huh. to this this device. Wow. That's crazy. Do you have any pictures of that available?
1: I just put that on our latest update. I did Uh a little video update on the Kickstarter. Um, So I kind of show, I show what it looks like and I explain how it works. Um, I can, I can explain how it works right now if if you want. Um, So it's basically a dock. It, the, the unit sits right on top of it um, and it drops the food into a bigger port where water is being fed through in the, the slurry portion. So it's basically a Y off of a off of a pump where a controlled amount of water goes in and defrosts the cube with a also a, a venturi tube coming out the exit, which will suck that defrosted food and water out into your into your line, essentially. And you can either feed that into a return pump. And so the pump will just basically spray the food all over the tank, mm-hmm. which is ideal when you have a lot of like especially a bigger fish that kind of hogs the area that the food has dropped. Um, or you can, if you don't want to use your return pump, you can feed it just straight up to the tank with a separate line and, uh, do it that way. Hmm. Well,
0: wow, That's very cool. I never would have thought like that being a thing. Cause looking at it right now, I mean, uh, what, what are the dimensions of the, the auto feeder right now?
1: The auto feeder are four inches square. So four by four mm-hmm. and then three and a half inches tall. That's not too bad. That's so. The uh, let me see the the dock I have right here.
0: I mean, considering the the, the DIY options on the internet are basically a dorm fridge. <laughs> like exactly. That. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: <laughs>
0: that now's the goal for me was like I, I
1: couldn't have I didn't have a space to put a dorm fridge and I wasn't gonna put a dorm fridge just in my living room next to the aquarium. Um, even if even if I wasn't married, I wouldn't do that. Um, so the the dock itself is five inches by. Basically five inches and another two inches tall, so you'll add you'll add that size with the with the dock. So it's it's not much bigger than the uh than the unit itself.
0: Mm-hmm. And then as far as like the I, I guess walk me through the Kickstarter, how that is going to work for somebody. So we'll have links to your website and the uh, and the Kickstarter in the show notes, so people can just directly link to it and check it out themselves. Uh, which I would highly encourage because this thing is like super cool looking. It's innovative, and this is what I love. Like you know when people. Uh, with the technology that we have like when you're when the hobbyist creativity is just unleashed you get cool stuff like this and you know everybody benefits so even if you're not going to sign up for the kickstarter like go check it out give it some love give it some shares um you know shout out to amazonas magazine like that's how i found out about you my email feed popped up and it had like this little you know one or two paragraph blurb about this you know frozen food auto feeder and i'm like that's awesome I need to try to talk to this guy and sure enough we were able to uh to make something happen but no this is a uh, this is super cool so um the kickstarter is if you sign up for it would you get a th- is it a 3d printed model that you're potentially signing up to receive or would you get a production no okay
1: yeah let me let me uh let me that's been a misconception that is pretty hard to uh dispel because all the pictures are of a 3d printed model um so basically, the way the whole Kickstarter program works is, and this is something that scares some people away, is you're um, you're pledging to get one of these units, and a lot of these, a lot of the Kickstarters in the past and the other crowdfunding services, all it is, is an idea. Somebody has a great idea, and they haven't even tried to do it yet. So you're paying this money for something that doesn't even exist, and just hoping that they'll get it done for you. I, I've backed a couple campaigns where I never got anything, and. Um, It definitely scares people away, but the difference here with what I've done is I've already done all the groundwork I've I've built one myself. I've built actually I built multiple myself. Um, I could technically ship a 3d printed uh, Arduino controlled unit to each person that backs it, but that's not what I'm gonna do the point of of Kickstarter is for me to um, Get a mass production process going where it's all going to be injection molded like sleek looking product like anything else that that you would buy in in any store Um, another team of engineers is going to look at everything I've done and make sure it's safe to plug in basically around the world Um, and take take what I've done like I said we have a we use buttons to control ours I want to take it to a touch screen. that's easy for somebody that specializes in that to do so all the money that we get from the Kickstarter goes to making this product taking this product from a 3d printed um I would say uh, proof of concept to a polished refined high-end product that you can trust to run your tank f- mm-hmm. or run the feeding process of your tank for as long as you have it plugged in
0: that sounds completely reusable to me and and so we're talking, um... And in case that was uh, muffled, I said reasonable. (laughs) Uh, So let's see here. I had my hand over my mouth while I'm talking. I'm just like I'm 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 sitting here like thumbing through, looking at the uh, looking at the Kickstarter page and all the pictures. And so my hands like naturally in front of my mouth, which is just really good etiquette for a podcast host. So anybody (laughs) out there looking to uh, start one, make sure you cover your mouth with your hand. And so let's talk about the uh, the different levels then. So you've got. 219 is that gonna be like kind of the retail price of this thing when it does launch or is that like a no, Okay, so that's, walk that's us through gonna
1: be a little It's gonna be a little more pricey than that when we actually launch um, That's part of the that's part of the draw of, of backing the Kickstarter is you're getting it for a discounted price like it um, The cube catcher will be an accessory. It's it detaches from the unit um, so the base station um, I haven't settled on my exact retail prices yet But it's gonna be more than what you're seeing on the Kickstarter. So you're saving money um backing now as opposed to waiting um when we start production um which is one of the draws of these crowdfunding campaigns and that's that's um and aside from that you're supporting um something brand new that doesn't exist yet um but yeah so the, like you said the the bottom tier is that 219 and that's the base unit with the cube catcher and that's what, that's what you get um, that's all you really need it'll come with whatever mounting um system you Request when it, when we start fulfilling all the orders and whatever size wheel that you request So like if you want to feed full-size cubes you get the full-size wheel If you want to feed half cubes you get the half wheel if you want to feed smaller cubes than that you can get the, the I think We said nano wheel on there or pico wheel for the smallest size um, Which would be like a quarter size cube more or less and you get a lot of feeds with that If you have like an if you have like a like a 10 gallon tank or 20 gallon tank, that's what you would use
0: no, that's super cool. What 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 would you guess would be your retail price come um, come when you're actually putting this thing on the shelves or, or fulfilling orders?
1: Probably for the base unit um, without any accessories, I'm guessing around two fifty.
0: So that seems very reasonable to me. Like that seems like if if somebody were to be like, "Hey Randy, guess how much this thing would cost?" Oh yeah, it's kind of coming from the saltwater side of things. I feel like I would have threw like a three forty nine or like a you know like a somewhere in like the three hundred price point, but yeah, I mean, if 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 that's what you're saying, like that seems like a pretty good bargain for what this thing is.
1: Yeah, that, I think I, we really wanted to to make it available to people that need it, um, and I, I think we priced it a, a very very reasonably. Um, it does it it does a lot. There's also a, a new feature that was actually suggested by one of the uh, the manufacturers I'm talking to. He he actually just was like, "Why don't you add this?" And I was like, "Well, because it's probably too expensive." He's like, "No, it's not that expensive," and that would be. A live streaming camera Ooh. so you can if you're out of town you can take a look and be like oh my fish ate today and you won't have to just trust that that the fish are eating you'll actually see verification and maybe get some cool pictures along the way cool video of every of, of fish eating um so that's not being promised yet but um if what what um the manufacturer said was true that's something that i'll add in to all the packages at no extra charge um and i think that they have, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever, any of you have heard of the Furbo, but um, it's like a little camera for your house that shoots out dog treats.
0: And, <laughs> no, and I, it's haven't. Also, I haven't yeah, heard of that yet. That's funny. We,
1: we got one for Christmas, actually, uh, uh, a year or so ago, and it's kind of cool. Like it, it actually launches the dog treat out about uh, five feet, and it's got a camera, and you can talk to your dog, um, dog through it. And that's kind of what I invented. I was like, oh, that is kind of a cool feature to actually see that they're Getting what you're giving.
0: See, I, f- I feel like you have to be. I, I feel like you have to have a lab or a golden retriever, or else that's not going to work. Because my pug would freak out if we start to like. Because I've done that before with our ring camera. Like you say, hey Zoe, and she starts barking like crazy and won't stop barking yeah, for thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it doesn't work for my dog either. That's so sees, funny.
1: He, he sees those uh, black magic treats hit the ground. He's like, I'm not touching that. Nice. Came out of some robot. So
0: let's. Uh, so I guess two questions would be one, um, like Gen two. Would you have um, app control so your your android iphone controls for this thing and and the second would be like right now it seems like you're offering a crazy large amount of color options um being a guy from the supply chain side of things like you know that many colors that many more SKUs. um or do you think you're going to skinny that that color choice down when you actually go production
1: yes i think that probably there, there's been some that have been there's been no demand for some of the color choices um for instance the uh the prototype colors that like tan and black i probably won't do that color um so yeah the, once we once we get the orders from everybody and when we're ready to f- to fulfill all the backers um we'll kind of figure out what what we got a lot of and what we didn't and there is a chance that we're gonna skinny that down that was that was also um kind of based on if we did go with like a high-end 3d printed model it's very easy to do like five of one color and, and uh 10 of another, but just uh, talking to manufacturers, it's, a, it's just a little yeah. difficult to, to do it yeah. that way. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I, if I saw this unit in all black, I would think it was sleek and like, that's just what it's supposed to be like that kind of like this kind of equipment in my head should just be a sleek black unit that, you know, sits on top of your tank or off to the side or, or something like that.
1: That's which is probably where we're going to take it. There are people that, that really love their color schemes and the <laughs> reefing side of things like they like to hot rod out their tanks. And it's very important to them to have uh, several colors. So if we do a few colors and we make the parts, um, maybe two or three colors, make the parts compatible with each other. Obviously, um, then we can get a couple different color, like dual color schemes, in there as well. But um, yes, after after committing more to a injection molded route, um, like you said, that going with like twenty color options is going to be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. did we? Did you get a chance to touch on the uh, the app support?
1: Um, yes. Actually, the same person that um, suggested the camera said, well, why don't we just do an app for it, too? And I was like, well, because isn't that going to cost a fortune? And they're like, well, not necessarily. So I haven't advertised that that'll be available. That is the goal. I would like to have it app controlled um, because I think that's the future of everything is being able to, especially like like if you're out of town and you didn't program it and you want to just feed every day, you can do that. Um, you can check, you can check your phone and be like, oh, okay, I have two more days left, um, before this is empty. If you, in case you forgot, um, I think the app would be, it's definitely, um, a goal. There's a, there's another little slew of certifications you need once you make something wireless mm-hmm, and able to transmit. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's something I'm not promising to anyone. It'll just be a bonus if it's, uh, if we go that route in the middle of the camp, in the middle of a uh, fulfilling,
0: Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, to me, though, with everything that you have with with the campaign of what you're what is being included, like the controller and the the amount of, um, you know, customization and how you can schedule everything out like that seems like more than I would have expected. So, you know, app control aside and to be fair, like I've tested some product that we've got that that are, you know, Wi-Fi enabled, Bluetooth enabled and the apps are dog poop. And so like that's yes. something that's something you really want to slow roll, maybe tap your brother. Was it Drake Hunter? we'll tap yes. we'll tap drake again see if we can get him in here and do some real good app designing but like the yeah. last thing you want to do is just like throw out oh yeah we've got an app and it's dog poop it's like that's that's, that's I
1: do not I have like some christmas lights that have this terrible <laughs> app that it just the the feature looks really really cool in the store and then you get home and download the app and you're like what is this
0: yeah it just doesn't make any sense it's not yeah. it's not intuitive it's i mean I, when i worked at amazon there were there were whole teams that were dedicated to you know human human perception human manipulation of apps and buttons and just you know studying layouts and there's you know like the the amazon app we may think that it's like super simple but there's so much that goes behind button mm-hmm. placement and you know text and font and color like it is it is a science in and of itself like it literally it kinda it like i'm pretty sure it is a major in colleges like just the yeah, human no, machine no, interface
1: it is it is Um, you could definitely major and I don't know what it's called, but it is, there's a whole careers that are six figure careers that design apps for people. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's why I need to, I'm not going to put something on this that is like what we've been discussing, where it's like you get this great product and then you open up the app and you're like, what a third grader made this. (laughs) So, so no, I, I want it to look like, look good. Like, like any other app you'd get on the app store that, that looks, that is a reputable app.
0: Mm-hmm. So I see right now that the Kickstarter, we've got 19 days to go. I know personally that, you know, the way of the, the consumption of this podcast goes, you know, some people that are, are just listening into the podcast, they're just joining for the first time. They've got like a week worth of pa- podcast backlog before they may hit this episode and it being relevant to them. So with 19 days to go as of November 14th, like what happens if you don't hit the $40,000 goal? It does, is the Kickstarter going to get expanded? Like, will you extend the days out? Or are you able to just go and continue to do what you can with the third? 30- 30, with the twenty-eight thousand that you currently have,
1: um, no, I'll explain. I'll explain that to, uh, right now. It's, so it's an all-or-nothing is the way Kickstarter. The reason I went with Kickstarter to begin with is uh, there's a couple other crowdfunding platforms, and Kickstarter really verifies that you actually have a you're not you don't have like some vapor product that doesn't exist. They actually they made me send them several videos of the product working before they didn't even list it. Um, and it's an all or nothing platform. So if I don't hit 40,000 in the next 19 days, all the money goes back to every, I don't think anybody's charged actually until the end of the campaign. Um, but if it doesn't go there, it, uh, it just basically disappears. And so if that is what happens, um, I've had, I've been contacted by several companies that want to buy this. I, I've wanted to stay independent and, and give people another choice basically, instead of one of the big companies, um, so that, that's basically what will happen. If, if we don't hit the goal, I'm pretty sure we will hit the goal. Usually, the, I've done some research because there's been a little bit of a plateau here in the middle. Um, most of the campaigns get a big push at the end, and I've got a lot of people watching. So I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen here. But if it doesn't, we've got plans. People will still be able to buy this. It'll just be probably a longer wait and from a different, uh, different company.
0: Gotcha. But at least at some point, it will... I mean, it may not yeah. be your, your ideal, um, way to proceed, but at least, you know, there, there is hope in the future that this thing will still come to market. Um, Oh, for a hundred percent, it yeah. will still
1: come to market just either more expensive and from a different company and most likely longer wait period.
0: Yeah. Cause so. I mean, if, if, if it does go to another company, I mean, they're going to have to put something on it so that they make money, um, yeah. which, you know, it, it's still coming to market. So that's good. So people can still buy it, but you know, Hey, everybody out there listening to the Aquarius podcast, if this is something you're interested in, you got to jump on it. It's 19 days. So this episode will drop on Monday. So what is that? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we'll have like 16, 15, 16 days to go. So hopefully people listen to this. Go check out the Kickstarter. If this is something that you're interested in, pledge some money. You're almost there. It's what, 12K? Um, yeah, we're, like,
1: we're almost there. That's I think we're going to make it. Um like I said, the last, the la- typically, because I did some research on this, because we did hit a plateau in the middle, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What's going on here? We are so strong at the beginning," and typically with these crowdfunding campaigns, and it makes sense to me, um, people will wait till the last few days to actually commit to buying it, just kind of see where it's at, and so a lot of these campaigns will get another 25 to 40 percent of their. Um, their backers on the last Mm -hmm. 72 hours. So, um, I'm still, we're still, we're still talking to everybody we can. There's, I'm every day I find people that have never heard of this and are like, Oh, I need one of these things. And so it's amazing that, that I felt like the word was getting out there pretty well, but there's still a lot of people that just haven't, haven't even seen it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome that Amazon has picked it up because you know, I mean, that's a, that's probably the most popular, uh, tropical fish magazine, freshwater magazine, uh, in the United States right now. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's of German origins and they've got a very strong presence in Europe. So hopefully you get a ton more interest, um, in anybody on the fence that's kind of like being a watcher, like get off the fence and go ahead and back this thing, you know? <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that was amazing. They were there. And I, I just sent them some info about it. I was like, Hey, is this something you guys would be interested in? And they said, yeah, of course we would. And immediately wrote a great piece on it. And I was like, wow, you guys did a great job. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And hopefully, you know, maybe there's some YouTubers out there that might want to try to have you on and, and put you in front of their audience as well and help spread the word and, you know, try to beat this, uh, try to beat this 19 days to go. How many. So how long has this thing been going on for?
1: Uh, since Halloween. I actually. Okay, since it Halloween. Halloween. okay.
0: Okay. So it hasn't been. So what do they give you like a 30 day window? Is that what we're... No, they
1: you can. So they give you up to 90 days. I could do 90 days if I wanted to but most successful campaigns are between 30 and 40 days. So I did like 34 days. Okay. Um, also because I, I, uh, I promised that, I, I've had a crowd of people that have kind of been following me since I, since I kind of went public with this in uh, late July. And um, I, I promised that we would start the, the, the funding in October. And uh, like I said, Kickstarter really uh, kind of, died. I was impressed by how well they actually verified that I had a product. Um, but it, but it delayed me like a week or two in, in actually starting the campaign. Um, cause they had to, they had to review videos and then talk to me and then review more videos. And so, um, I'm still happy that I went to Kickstarter, but it did push my plans of uh, launch. I wanted to launch like mid October. I ended up launching on, like I said, on Halloween. So, um, that's, that's, uh, that's when I started, it's going to end December 4th, I believe. Um, but yeah, I'm confident we're going we're gonna to get through it.
0: December 4th at 9.58 a.m. PST, so Pacific Time. So everybody out there, that's your deadline. It's all or nothing. Okay, so you got to you got to make it happen. <laughs> good. We'll give these coasters a little more time. Yeah, that's there good. you go. There <laughs> you go. No, Eric, man, I mean I, you know, I already feel so vested just talking to you for an hour, man, that you've come on the podcast. We've, uh, you know, talked about your origins, talked about the creation of this thing. Like I want to see you, you know, I want everybody that wants this thing. Everybody that's is like I need like all oh, you saltwater people. You guys love gadgets. You love spending money on gadgets for your hobby. This yes, seems like an absolute no-brainer of something that you would want on your tank. Like how could you not?
1: Yeah, I it's, it's something that I that it's been missing for a long time and I I would have 100% probably paid more than I'm asking for this if this existed when yeah. I needed it.
0: Yeah, cuz people people ask Corey all the time like what what are some of the best fish foods and you know, we'll we'll go ahead and say yeah, you know, the ones that you know, these We'll throw out a couple that we carry on our website, you know, that, that you can buy. But then we also say, and frozen food, like blood worms, brine shrimp, like all of these amazing frozen foods, you know, that, that we don't sell. We sell it in a retail store, but, you know, we have a reach across the country and across the world. And so there's no monetary gain for us to promote frozen foods. It's just the, the plain and simple truth that frozen food is great to feed to your community fish. It's great to feed to, you know, to your fish in general, um, especially if you've got a fidgety eater or a picky eater that won't eat everything. And so this, you know, this being something that, you know um if you work long hours if you're a nurse doing 12 hour shifts if you're you know any of these professions where you ha- you you have these extended um you know time periods and you get home and you know you it's it's your it's your dark period for your tank but you want to make sure your your uh, fish are getting fed and then also the vacation scenario like the most obvious one of you go on vacation you don't want your you know you don't want your fish to starve you don't want to play that game of I think they can make it, you know, he, yeah. you know, Bob, yeah. Bob looks a little chubby today. I think, I think he can go <laughs> like seven days without eating, yep. you know, or I hope oh.
1: Bob doesn't, Bob doesn't eat Sally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money on our hobby and, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, if, you know, this gives you that extra peace of mind and, and everything that you've put into this, like this isn't just some, you know, uh, some poorly thought out product. Like you've put a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of thought into this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely want to see it, see it succeed. And, um, that's one of the things like before I even started the Kickstarter, I could have, I could have done this, like I said, well, I would have had to use a different funding platform, but I could have done it with just the idea. And I thought it was very important that I had a proven device that I, that I had faith in myself before I started trying to sell it to anybody else. So that's right now, all we're waiting for is, uh, just to make it a refined, nice packaged product you'd see on the shelf of any store.
0: For sure, for sure. And the fact that you're also a fellow San Diego State Aztec alumni, Eric, like myself. So I want to see, got to see an Aztec doing real well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I
0: mean, San Diego misses you, so. (laughs) So when I, and viewers are going to hate me for this, but when I left, um, they opened up Puestos in uh, Seaport Village. That place is so good, man. I went back there, went back there for a buddy's wedding, and I asked a friend, like, what's the place I have to go to to eat at? And they're like, have you was puestos here when you were here i'm like nope that's where you need to go and i hate waiting in line for food that place is so worth it
1: yeah that place is the margaritas are great uh the food's also great um they've had a couple of those opened up now but yeah that's yeah, they. I think they have a second one here in San Diego. I don't know where else they are, but nice. yeah, they are delicious.
0: And now I need to go to San Diego for some puestos tacos. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, Eric Hunter, man, this has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. I mean, we. I think we've hit like the hour mark. So uh, yeah. I hope everybody out there. I hope they listened, They enjoyed, you know, learning more about who you are. He, you know, learning about us talking about saltwater versus freshwater differences. I didn't necessarily think we we're going to go down that route, but we did. And um, yeah, I think it was great, And, man. Your product, the the AF four the automatic no the dang it i messed it up the af4 the auto frozen fish food feeder so cool man and uh i want to see you i want to see you do really well with this and i want to see you hit that goal so everybody go check this out if this is something you're interested in uh back this kickstarter man you've heard you've heard eric talk for an hour well me and eric talk for an hour um i hope you're as vested into this and want to see him succeed like i do so eric thank you very much for coming on
1: uh, thanks for having me, Randy. I'm really happy to be here, and and uh, this is a great talking to you. I'm glad I learned more about freshwater, um, the freshwater side of it. It's wasn't what I expected to do either, but I'm glad that we talked about it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you learn you learn something every day, don't you?
1: Yep.